Welcome to the Humanity Leadership Podcast. My name is David Wheatley. We're here to talk leadership in small, bite-sized and practical chunks. Enjoy. This episode is another of our First Friday episodes. And if you've not come across the First Friday series yet, first Friday of every month, at noon Eastern time, we have a free work session that you're welcome to come and join us. We encourage you to come and join us, have great discussion. During that uh, about 50-minute work session, one of Humanity's direct service people will provide a 15, 20-minute uh, insight into a subject. And uh, this month, we're talking uh, still on our What Great Teams Do Great series about the impact of race and power when it comes to teams. This is uh, based on a, a supplement, Chapter 9, which is uh, downloadable from the Humanity website in the book section. So uh, if you uh, like what you're going to hear, then that's the place to go and you can get the full version of it. We wrote What Great Teams Do Great and published it in April of 2020, which seemed like a good time because I'm sure most of you remember there was nothing else going on in April of 2020. Uh, in the summer of 2020, we actually had the opportunity to do some work around what great teams do great with the United Way. And it was pointed out, apart from the fact that they liked some of the structure, it was pointed out that at no point in the book had we addressed the impact of race and power on team dynamics. And so as we slapped our heads at this missed opportunity and recognizing that the three authors were all white, we engaged a number of DEI colleagues to investigate what should have been written if we were to write a ninth chapter. And as a result of these conversations, we actually did publish an additional chapter, chapter nine, which is available at the book section of humanity.com. And this presentation hits some of the highlights of what we gathered and learned and what we continue to learn as key thoughts on this subject. The supplement to what great teams do great, uh, I will note is centered around the United States. Uh, though other countries have similar cultural frameworks when it comes to race, power, and leadership. And a couple of clarifiers that it should be noted that although we involve many uh, the diversity, equity and inclusion authorities, this was written by two people who identify as white, whose careers and life experiences have largely been within the context of white culture. I'll introduce some topics briefly and encourage you to begin or continue learning and listening. And uh, we have by no means arrived at the end of our journey and uh, a deeper understanding about racial conditioning white supremacy culture and how best to be an ally for individuals and groups facing oppression and trauma is highly recommended. We are on that journey as an organization. So first, my acknowledgements, I'd like to thank our DEI professionals who engaged uh, with us in the development of this, and Nikia Bayliss, Priscilla Archangel, Carlos Rangel, Kenneth Pons, and my co-author, Christy Barrett. So let's start with the power dynamics. And uh, soon as we've got Dr. Magadja here, imagine back at school, uh, the threat of being summoned to the principal's office was terrifying for most of us. It didn't matter if we knew that we'd done nothing wrong. We still sweated it out and entered the room looking nervous and potentially guilty. Just the thought of my old school principal sends chills down my spine. As leaders, we have the same effect sometimes on our direct reports. This power dynamic isn't always obvious to the leader, but it's always apparent to the subordinate. The higher up the organizational chain, the more the power dynamic is in play. When we factor race into this, the power dynamic is often amplified. 
In the same way that a black man may be more nervous when stopped by police than a white man, the power dynamic of supervision can have a similar impact. It's incumbent on all leaders to dive into the impact of this organizational culture. The context of culture as it relates to uh, race is important to all aspects of teamwork and plays out in the supervisory situations as well. So let's take a look at some of the power dynamics of the supervisor-supervisee relationship and examine them through the lens of race and what great teams do great. So there's the this amplification of privilege. Persons who are members of the dominant group in society benefit from that reality, even though not by anything they choose. Some have referred to white privilege as winning the lottery you did not know you entered. Uh, white privilege does not mean that life is easy. White privilege is when your skin color does not make life harder. In supervisory relationships, add in privilege, and there is an amplification of authority at even greater level. Many people are not aware of this privilege, and when they lead others, can be blindsided by the impact of their double privilege, being a boss and being a member of the dominant group. So this gets us to a couple of other aspects, professionalism being one of them. One of the central competency areas for many workers is professionalism. This term's often used with a great deal of specificity. Rarely do leaders examine the roots of these standards of professionalism, even as they hold their people accountable to them. As Asa Gray outlines in The Bias of Professionalism Standards, in the standard Stanford Social Innovation Review, their stand, professionalism standards are heavily defined by white supremacy culture or the systemic institutionalization centering on whiteness. In the workplace, white supremacy culture explicitly and implicitly privileges whiteness and discriminates against non-Western, non-white professionalism standards related to dress code, speech, work style, and timeliness. How do these standards of professionalism show up uh, in organizations that are predominantly white? Well, in white and Western standards of dress and hairstyle, in speech, accent, word choice, or communication, and in scrutiny, how we're monitored and measured, and also in attitudes towards timeliness and work style. This is the challenging bit for somebody with my accent to be talking about, because in my accent actually switches the other way, and people assume all sorts of positives on the back of that, which really, as my team will tell you, they shouldn't assume that. One of the most troublesome aspects of white professionalism standards is that they're assumed to be objective, unbiased, and favorable. While there is a need for professionalism standards, there's also a need for these to be equitable, clearly articulated, and validated as it relates to their necessity and aligned with the organization's vision and values. So when you think about individuals and teams achieving greatness, it isn't simply a matter of doing a certain list of functions. To get to the maximum impact, People on all levels have to be committed to achieve the right things, what we call a commitment to impact, for the right reasons, what we call a care for the greater good, and in the right ways, what we describe as people intelligence. When people make these types of choices on a regular basis, they're what we would call the green path. If you listen to a few of the previous episodes, you'll hear all about the green path from Lance and Corey. When people are on the red path, they make a different type of choice. They make more committed, their choices are more committed to comfort rather than impact. They care more about themselves rather than the greater good or have limitations in their ability to navigate their own or others' emotional realities, a lack of people intelligence. So when it comes to issues of race in the workplace, a leader and a team's choices can create an environment where everyone, including the team and organization, thrives. 
And conversely, the choices made by the team and its leaders can also combine to produce a climate of fear, non-engagement, and a lack of results. So let's take a look at those dimensions of choice. What the greater good, what great teams do great model refers to leadership, not only as a title or position, but as a choice made by people at all levels of the organization. On any given day, at any given time, people can make a choice to step up and be a leader. The nature of choices is key to successful teamwork and supervision. What great teams do great identifies these three dimensions. So the first one here, orienting to the greater good. Well, the greater good takes into account the needs of all the people who are connected to and who have a stake in the defined success, including yourself. We refer to these as stakeholders. When thinking greater good, leaders consider the need of each of these stakeholders in making choices. Diversity, equity, and inclusion should be part of the greater good. Without them, organizations lack perspective and suffer from myopic thinking and ineffective action. Diversity is in the organization is not enough. Full inclusion and equity are necessary for the organization to succeed and all of its peoples to thrive. As a supervisor, this means that first and foremost, look inward. Are you 100% committed to the, the entire team's success? Have you examine, examined your own implicit biases, attitudes, stereotypes that unconsciously affect understanding, actions, and decisions? Greater good thinking and action means that you take steps to ensure that you do more than assume that you're one of the good ones. To ensure the greater good means more than recruiting diverse individuals to the team. Greater good supervisors address the teams and organizations culture and practices to ensure that every person has an equal opportunity to succeed. So the second level, the commitment to impact versus comfort. When the going gets tough, some people opt out and others are fully committed to whatever it takes to ensure success. A willingness to take risks, be courageous, and focus on the impact that is necessary are hallmarks of commitment to impact. When it comes to issues of race and leadership, true commitment to impact means more than just hiring people who don't look like you. Too often, a white leader commits to comfort by employing or highlighting people of color and not giving them any real power of respons or responsibility. This is a form of tokenizing. It's easier to say the right things, hire a person or two, and then rest on the laurels than to truly step into a fully equitable and inclusive workplace. Supervisors committed to impact will address the reality that, and I'm gonna use the term black, indigenous and people of color or BIPOC experience on the job. One facet of this reality is that BIPOC typically have to give significant mental energy to operate in a white professional world. This concept of code switching is like working in a country where your first language is not the common language and much effort is needed to be fully understood and to have contributions valid. It's critical leaders understand their real culture and its impact and do the work to understand value and elevate the contributions of all people. Commitment to impact means that at times, comfort will be hard to come by. Leaders have to make themselves uncomfortable in order to understand themselves, others in the organization. At times, making an impact means the leader must address difficult topics confront unpleasant situations and speak truth to power. To be committed to impact means being an active ally for all people on the team. This requires the leader to speak up at times when it feels uncomfortable to do so. Commitment to impact requires white leaders to create space for caring, honest and direct conversations, stepping into challenging situations to create an environment 
where all are fully engaged, heard, and valued. It's easy to surround ourselves with people who are like us and to operate as if race were not a factor. It's better and yields better outcomes for the team and the organization to surround ourselves with people who bring diverse perspectives, experience, and skills to the table. Our third dimension, a facility with people and emotional intelligence. This dimension relates to the understanding emotions within self and others and the ability to develop and keep good interpersonal relationships. People with strong emotional intelligence not only regulate their own emotional state well, they also bring out the best in other people. Emotional intelligence requires being in tune with what is really going on in the leader's relationships and amongst the team in general. Are BIPOC really being treated equitably and with the same commitment to emotional safety? Too often, BIPOC are subjected to microaggressions, and microaggressions are the intentional or unintentional communication, verbal or nonverbal indignities. Strong emotional intelligence requires the leader to notice microaggressions and address them within the team. Leaning into emotional intelligence means staying in tune with how the entire team is doing. Sometimes BIPOC feel they must do more without compensation or recognition. recognition. A leader's role is to recognize when people are going the extra mile. Leaders with strong emotional intelligence will also examine the performance review process and compensation structures to ensure that objective criteria rewards the effort and results of all team members. So how do we make it safe? So in order to reduce the effect of the power dynamic and ensure diversity, inclusion and equity on the team, it's important for leaders to create a safe environment for people to be themselves and be fully engaged in the team's work together. To create such a climate, the leader must set an example, understand their own biases, educate themselves on this dynamic and create space for people to discuss it openly. They should be patient. Culture change doesn't happen overnight. Be patient and open to learning and ensure a cadence of engagement and discussion about diversity, equity and inclusion. And be courageous. It may not be comfortable, however, people are watching the leader. In fact, past experience in most organizations has prioritized white comfort and accommodated white fragility. Because of this history, the leader must be willing to be uncomfortable and not move past it too quickly. It's critical for white leaders to stand up for a diverse environment of true equity inclusion and follow through with bold systemic action. The integration of diversity, equity and inclusion within the mission and scope of the organization is the end result. This is a delicate balance of both mission and DEI. Organizations can overfocus on the mission at the cost of DEI. They can also overfocus on DEI at the cost of the mission. Courage is the integration of both mission and DEI and the recognition that diversity, equity, and inclusion are a win for the organization's bottom line. So I get to caring, honest, and direct what we call CHAD conversations. It can be difficult to confront uncomfortable situations in any group. Teams often struggle to communicate, and this is more of a problem if members sense conflict around divisive issues. It would be easy to assume that few teams would talk about race unless they absolutely needed to. And in some cases, even a great need would not overcome our cultural assumptions that race doesn't matter or it's not an important conversation. When dealing with any conflictual topic, the green pathway is to exhibit care and be honest and direct. So let's just look at those three. Care. It may seem obvious that we should show care to one another. Unfortunately, this is not given in all situations. 
Some people interpret caring as not talking about uncomfortable topics. In fact, having a compassionate conversation that honors all team members is truly a sign of care. The bottom line is understanding and acting on the greater good for all human beings, which requires leaders to facilitate tough conversations, recognize their own blind spots, be curious about each other's perspective and recognize everyone's contributions. Why? Because it's the right thing to do and team success is interdependent. It depends on everyone being and doing their best. Ignoring issues of diversity, equity and inclusion prevent the team from being their best. And that means that they must be addressed to be a great team. Honest conversations can either be a tool for good or a weapon for harm. Great leaders are honest in that they say what is true, and they are clear when something is just an opinion or feeling. Being honest is about saying what you really think, not seeking to, to advance one truth to harm others, spinning or avoiding the real issue. Honesty requires humility and acknowledging that no one knows it all. This is particularly true when it comes to the issues of race. Some of the most honest conversations leaders have begun are true dialogues that begin with, help me understand, and then deeply listening. Having a direct conversation with a person about a sensitive topic is also difficult. That's why so many people avoid it by venting to, other person, to another person instead of the one with whom they should be speaking. Being direct means taking the full issue, not some tangential or softened version of the issue, to the right person instead of to your favorite sounding board. Direct is about being timely in your conversation so that the issues do not fester and grow more difficult. At Humanity, we use the 24-hour rule, meaning that if you have an issue, even a small thing that is rubbing us the wrong way, we have a duty to bring it up within 24 hours. Sometimes it's also important to wait the full 24 hours to get self-clarity or perhaps calm down a bit. When people are direct and timely in communicating, the conflict often is smaller than it might have seemed. It goes without saying that leaders should not only initiate direct conversations, they should be open and curious and humble when they're on the receiving end of communication. To that point, I just want to share a quick story. When uh, uh, my family was growing up in England and my young kids were there, my eldest son, Josh, was about eight. And we walked into a store where what I now know to be a Sikh man who owned the store was obviously wearing a turban. And Josh said, why is that man wearing that hat? Which point I kind of, in my English way, kind of, shh, don't, let's not have that conversation. And whereas the man actually said, no, let me tell you about why I'm wearing this hat and shared really openly why he was wearing the hat and the importance of the hat in the Sikh community, which then brought me to realize, hey, I was not having a caring, honest and direct conversation. And that that willingness to do so actually opened up dialogue and learning. So that was me uh, addressing um, race and power as it impacts what great teams do great. And I really want to reiterate thanks to all the DEI experts that really helped with that and helped put that together in the summer of 2020. And once again, point you to the Humanity website. If you look in the books section, you'll see there's a new chapter for uh, what great teams do great. We call it chapter nine, which uh, expands on what I've just spoken about. Enjoy. That was the Humanity Leadership Podcast. My name's David Wheatley. For further information about Humanity, go to humanity.com or check out our latest book, What Great Teams Do Great, from all good bookstores. Have a good one. Stay healthy.